Why not? No, you have to wait, wait for something specific. Don't. No. Just kidding. No, that's fine. <laughs> we have so much to talk about. Yeah, I guess so. Billionaires to hate. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's true. I like that. Okay, okay. I'm going to introduce right at the beginning of the show here. I have a brand new segment. Mm. And this segment is called New Billionaires to Hate. <laughs> I mean, Ooh, I'm all for this. <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty cool. I mean, every billionaire deserves your hate. Uh deserves everyone's hate in general, but no. new billionaires to talk about that we hate. No, mm-hmm. not every billionaire. No, every billionaire. Every single one of them. What about that guy who paid off like a hundred million bucks worth of college debt at his Is he still a billionaire? Yeah, and he's still he's still giving money away. <laughs> yeah, well he's not giving it away fast enough. So not giving him. away enough, yeah. Yeah. If you have a billion dollars, you're a piece of shit. You have too much money. You should have given it all away. What about uh, Bezos' ex-wife? Yeah, she's doing pretty good, and we'll yeah. see how we'll see. Yeah, she's doing okay. She's giving away like three yeah. quarters of a billion already. And yes, three quarters of a billion. Yeah, and how much does she have? Like twenty billion, thirty billion, three quarters of a billion. You don't want to be start throwing money around on a loosey goosey. Like, what if she ended up giving it to someone who was like? Attached sure. To ISIS yeah, sure, somehow. sure, sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you got to vet who you're giving it to and everything. And and since she is newly in control of all of that wealth, she she gets a pass. But all these other people who have been billionaires for a long time, they don't get a pass. They've had plenty of time to to vet all of the various charities and organizations and whatnot to see to see the best ones to give to. They don't they don't have excuses. No fucking way. I'm just I'm just challenging your assertion of all billionaires. I know, and you're welcome to. And I'm sure most of our listeners disagree with me with my hard stance. But you guys know I don't I don't do fucking mild opinions. I don't do mild stances. Fuck all billionaires. Period. You know that's it. Anyways, Colin, sorry you had to, you wanted to do a segment though. <laughs> I know I haven't even gotten into it yet. You're already fired up. Like. <laughs> yeah, well that's what happens when Matt is fucking poking at me just a little bit. It's enough. <laughs> That's why we have him. That's the glue guy. Yeah. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) All right. And so I want to clarify that in the future, whenever I have somebody to talk about in this segment, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are new to being a billionaire. They're just new in the sense that I just found out that they're billionaires and I want to talk about their story. And uh, this particular story has everything. It has lies. It has greed. It has shady business. It has white privilege. It is uh, an amazing story of a, another white male billionaire in America. Are either one of you familiar with the name David Geffen? Oh, yeah. Of course. So David Geffen is a about a $10.5 billion billionaire. That's what his net worth is. So... I mean, we're not talking Bezos money or, you know, anything like that, but David. Oh, Geffen, you know, sorry, not, you know, not like 200 billion, just 10 billion. Oh, yeah. Wait, sorry. wait, I accidentally knocked my headphone cord out again. Um, and then in the sound cut off, say that last sentence again. I, I was just, I was just saying he's not Bezos in terms of the amount oh, of money. that Right. He, yeah. That only 10 billion. Yeah. He's, he's like a peon. Right. right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, do you guys want to know the story of how David Geffen became a billionaire? Well, I know that he Music. Geffen Geffen Records is his thing, so I assume that he exploited musicians for many years. Yeah, so um, he's actually the founder of Asylum. Uh, is is his original mm. label, um, which is the late at Jackson Brown um, was actually his first big signee. Oh no shit. Uh, so it was Jackson Brown, Joni Mitchell, the Eagles, Ronstadt. Oh, he was doing all those California like folk rock. Yep, 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 exactly. So but before we get to Asylum, David is uh I forget exactly where he's from, tries to go to college, is probably a lazy white dude, doesn't get done with it. And the re- reason I say he was a probably a lazy white dude is because he blamed he blamed him not finishing on college on his dyslexia but i was like "Hmm, that didn't stop you from becoming a billionaire so um right yeah take it take it for what it is anyway the college piece is important because when he gets to california he goes to work for some let's say capital records and he wants to get into music management he's a mailroom clerk but in order to work for this company, he needs to have a college degree. And so they ask for his college transcript. And this is back in the 60s. It gets mailed. He intercepts it. And 
he forges it to say that he, and of course he's a white male. He's the only person in the universe at that time that could have gotten away with something like that. And it just makes you even more sick thinking about it. When you fast forward to, I'm skipping all around because there's a lot of bad things with David Geffen. You skip to today when he's a 10.8, 10.5 billionaire and he's got numerous yachts. And apparently there is an award given out for the individual who pollutes the most in America. And he's either number one or number two because of all of his <laughs> yachts out there. <laughs> fucking piece of shit. So, uh, yeah, that's what he does today. Um, yes. And he did uh, some shady shit. So uh, Asylum was supposed to be the record label to like, you know, support the artist and God, don't we know how that that shit just doesn't matter because yeah, Major yeah. League Baseball, as we're going to get into here in a little while, um, they they don't care uh, about artists. They don't care about players. Management just wants money. Billionaires just want money. And so he sold Asylum Records in the mid seventies, I believe, to Warner Brothers. And the the so the the selling out's not the bad thing, but what he did is he took advantage of all those people that I just mentioned and their poor to little legal representation. And when he signed contracts with them, he had half of their publishing money and then the band or the artist had the other half. So when Warner Brothers sold, he got half of everybody's money. And there's a whole, there's a whole story about this with the Eagles because they got obviously wicked pissed about it. He gave Jackson Brown his money back because Jackson was like his number one guy and got him like all these other people like Joni and Linda and the Eagles and, and everything. So he was like, I felt like I, I owed Jackson that money. And of course, the Eagles were like, well, that doesn't fucking make sense to me. <laughs> like, yeah. give me my money back, too. Um, he ended up doing so Henley. Um, ends up signing with, with Geffen rec, uh, label, like uh, what, what he ends up founding after he sold uh, Asylum. They ended up having uh, another thing like in the 80s when he was doing his solo work and whatnot. But um, I just couldn't believe that this guy, I had known the, the Geffen name from the label and just seeing it on the Don Henley albums that my parents had growing up. And it wasn't until Sunday when I was like looking into a little bit more who he is. Cause I see, I keep seeing him pop up with like all these musicians that I like from the classic rock era. And I'm like, I, I just need to know a little bit more about him. And I find out that he's this billionaire who forged his way into the music management industry and now owns all these yachts and pollutes the world. And like, is just probably one of the worst people on the planet. And um, I hate him. And I'm sure Ethan does, but that was my new segment. I just hey, wanted to introduce that. I don't like him either. Don't get me well, don't yeah, me. but, but <laughs> man, you're like the glue him. guy. And like the glue guy has to keep things together. Ethan and I can go off the rails. I'll take that bullet. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, yeah. He, sound, he sounds like a typical piece of shit billionaire. And um, it's interesting because... He's. This is the classic thing with with all of these rich people, right? So I knew about David Geffen partially because of just being known, and you know he was famous in the music industry. Um, but more recently, he is famous because he paid for the renovation of um, I think it was what was it called beforehand? Alice Tully Hall or Avery Fisher Hall, whatever hall in New York City. Um, yeah, it was Avery Fisher beforehand. It's where the New York Philharmonic plays. In, in, at the Lincoln Center. So big deal. One of the most important concert halls in the country, right? And he paid for the recent renovations and it changed to his name in 2015, David Geffen Hall. And I'm sure it cost a lot of money, right? Um, I'd have to look up, let's see, like what, $100 million? He donated $100 million to the Lincoln Center in 2015. Um, yeah, so we're talking, we're talking a large chunk of money, $100 million. There, there, there was maybe more. I'm not going to, I won't take the time to read it right now. But this is the thing, right? This is how they get away with shit because people who don't look deeply enough will be like, oh, yeah, but look at that. He, like, helped the New York Philharmonic renovate their hall and he paid $100 million. $100 million is fucking nothing of $10 billion, right? Like, that's nothing for him. It doesn't matter. And I'm pretty sure that he sold at the time – I remember seeing his name in the news – a mansion that was, like, the most expensive mansion in the country. It was, like, a, to Bezos, to Bezos. right? Bezos. Yeah, yep. like $165 million. Yep, yeah. it's, it's at least the largest transaction in California real estate history. Yeah, 
So, so this is the thing, right? And, and I mean, that is just gross, right? The fact that there's a $165 million property um, that shouldn't exist, right? It's fucking disgusting when we have homeless people. It's just, this country is a piece of shit, right? It's garbage. It's a hot fucking dumpster fire. Uh, well, the whole world is, right? But we won't go into that. Um, but that's, this is the thing, right? So Geffen and people like him, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, whoever, take your fucking pick. They hide behind these charitable endeavors, but they still have insane untold amounts of money that, that no person could need in a thousand lifetimes. Um, so no, they're all, they're all pieces of shit. Um, and especially somebody in his case taking advantage of, of musicians because, I mean, that is the history of the music industry, mm -hmm. right? And, and it even continues now. This is, we don't need to go into the details of this right now, but you guys have probably seen that there's a lot of conversation happening about the streaming services now, right? For mm -hmm. instance, the, the founder and CEO of Spotify is a billionaire. Um, Paul McCartney just sold like the, the publishing rights to like his entire catalog. And it was like a couple hundred million dollars. Bruce just did it too. Didn't he? Bruce was 500 million. Right. Yeah. So think about this. Think about this. Two of the most important musicians in popular music history who created all of that stuff. They actually wrote the fucking music, right? They are actual creators. And that's like a fraction of what Daniel Eck, I think is his name. That's a fraction of what that guy is worth. Now, Maybe that guy is a genius at technology. I don't know. Um, but still, the, the principle of that, the principle that a founder of some technological thing that maybe is good at like taking advantage of loopholes can be worth so much and the actual creators get paid shit. I mean, it's insane. It's insane. So the whole, this whole idea of the artists versus the business side of things in like the music industry I mean, that's been going on forever and it's still going on now, even as sort of we have this paradigm shift from from uh, uh, what music used to be like to this almost like all digital these days. Um, yeah. But yeah, just and it, it's the it's the same. We're going to talk about it with baseball. It's the same thing. Players have been fighting forever yeah. to try to just get a little piece of the pie for the revenue that owners bring in every single year in that sport. And to top off the Geffen thing before we get away from that, because you brought up a really good point, Ethan. So like, yeah, he donated a hundred million dollars to the, to that hall, but where did that hundred million dollars come from? It came from screwing over bands and artists and from, again, from his white privilege of just being able to forge his transaction, yeah. you know, or whatever transcript, his transcript uh, right. from, from college and everything like that's dirty money. You know, if, if it was a black person, he's going to jail. But, yeah. like, you know, it's 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 just crazy. Yeah. Now, I, I just have to point out here um, and give me give me one more second. Um, I already I already rolled one. my eyes. People who are listening can't hear, but I already um, rolled my eyes. Yeah, there's we should just add like a, we wire in a sound effect. Uh, so uh, I need I need one more Google search first. <laughs> oh, OK. All right. All right. So that's better. But um, Ethan just criticized one billionaire for taking advantage of another billionaire. And he's shedding some tears that poor little Paul McCartney got taken advantage of. You know what his net worth is, Ethan? Is he a billionaire? 800 million pounds. You know what that is in U.S. real dollars? <laughs> I know you're going to tell me. 1.07 billion. Okay, and would you like me to tell you uh, what I think of Paul McCartney for being a billionaire? He's a piece of shit. There you go. Okay, now... I wasn't crying for one billionaire to take, uh, and, and Geffen didn't do anything to McCartney. Geffen didn't take advantage of McCartney. The point is that McCartney is like probably maybe the most influential musician in American popular music history, and maybe just the Western world popular music history, right? Yeah. Um, maybe not, but he's he's in the conversation. Uh, and and what he he sold all of this shit that he created, and it was a fraction of what somebody like David Geffen is, is worth. So I don't feel bad for Paul McCartney. It's just the principle of that. I'm just, I'm just emphasizing the idea that you can just be like good at business and good at manipulating shit and good at taking advantage of loopholes. And you can be so much more rich than somebody like Paul McCartney, who is like a legit genius who has had an amazing impact on, 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 uh, on humankind. So, but thank you for pointing that out. I do take your point. I didn't know he was a billionaire. He should be giving away his fucking money. Bruce is only uh, an estimated uh, 650 millionaire. He should also be giving away his money. We won't get into this because it's not as catchy, but but hundred millionaires, whatever whatever the word is for once once you hit um, um, nine digits, uh, they shouldn't exist either. Yeah. So 
Sorry, I, you know me. I, I know, of course. Yes, I, I couldn't course. let that slide. Uh-huh, I was uh-huh. like, I'm pretty sure Paul is that is that rich. So. <laughs> uh-huh. um, All right. Well, I think that was a su- success. So mm-hmm. we'll uh, we'll see what the audience thinks, and we'll see if we bring it back. Yeah, absolutely. So, what are you guys drinking? Oh yeah, let's do that. Um, I've got another of the other half collection that Matt and I have been drinking the last couple of weeks, various anniversary beers. Matt, I think this is the sixth anniversary, right? Yep, yep. The, the recreation of the sixth anniversary. Yep. Um, a 10% IPA. Again? Again, wow. so I'll probably be buzzed after the show oh, again. Oh, they're all 10, yeah. Yeah. Um, really nice. Ethan, this is, update, yeah. update. Ethan did send us a text after the show last week and said, ha I'm buzzed. Yeah, yeah, it did hit me after the show. Um, and it'll probably happen this time, too. But it's one of these ones, Matt, um, where some of these 10 percenters, there's like that kind of sweetness to it. Is that that's because of the higher ABV, right? Is that right? Yeah. Or- so um, you, you're you putting a lot more fermentable sugars in there. You're, you're, you're supercharging the wort. And, and part of it is, too, um, and the reason you see a lot of double IPAs that are in the 7 to 8 to 9 percent range, um, alcohol is a solvent. So the more alcohol you have in a, in a beverage – the better, uh, the better job it'll do of getting those hop compounds out of the hops while you're brewing it. So, mm. um, yeah, really. I've got a follow. Stuff. I got a follow up question for the beer master, Ethan. Hold that beer up to the camera. So, like Matt, you see the the kind of it's, it's hazy. Not, it's not. Yeah, well, like the the I get like the color of the beer, right? Yeah, it looks like juice. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I love beers like that. Is that like a certain, like, I don't think I would. I just looking at that glass, I don't think I would like that beer as much as the one Ethan has. Well, I just, that, I just find myself every time I go to a brewery and there's a beer that's poured that way, I take a sip and I'm like, wow, so it's, that's really it's the good. hazy thing, then, right, Matt? Yeah. Is that the so, defining thing? Yeah, that's accomplished because double IPAs are like the the hazy New England IPAs are. Um, massively hopped very very late in the brewing cycle so uh and then you have double dry hop additions so you're getting a lot of kind of extra particulate there now there's also theories that like some breweries tried replicating that by adding flour to their beers oh wow which um i've 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 never actually confirmed it i've only heard i've heard other brewers you know accuse breweries of doing that um but essentially they're not filtering it either um, you know, so you'll, a lot of these times, if you're pouring out a beer like that, you'll get like a schmutz in the bottom to, to schmutz. Ethan. Schmutz. schmutz, schmutz. Okay. <laughs> you get some schmutz in the bottom, which is like a uh, hot particulate that was in the beer that settled out, uh, while it sat in a can. So, um, some breweries will even put on there, like roll the beer on the countertop before you, you dump it out. Cause they want to resuspend some of those hot particles, but mm. yeah. Um, yeah, that's part of the hazy craze. Interesting. Okay. Now yeah. mine is clear. It's actually, it's still got a little bit of haze in it, but it's relatively clear because it's a West Coast IPA. It's one of the most famous out there. Um, it's a double dry hop version of Pliny the Elder. Um, so this is one yeah. of the two, it's every year considered the best or the second best beer in the country by beer nerds who, uh, are members of the American Homebrewers Association. So usually it's like Pliny the Elder and Bell's Too Hard, it actually is up there every year too, is one of the best still. beers out there. Oh, every year, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I like that beer. I'm beer surprised it would it. still be up there at this point. Yep, yep. Um, when you have like Treehouse and Other Half and Monkish. And, yeah, uh, well, that's that one's weird because it uses an older hop varietal. It uses Centennial, which is always weird, but or Centennial or Cascade, one of those two old ones. But Pliny is, is really, really famous because it's this, you know, West Coast IPAs aren't hazy. They're filtered. Uh, they're crisper. Um, you still you still can get some nice fruit characteristics there, but... Um, more bitter in general, right? A little bit, you get more bitterness, more like a traditional IPA. Um, you get, um, you know, you get some piney flavors, some earthy flavors, some grassy flavors. It's just more like a really, really well done traditional IPA. Um, and again, you'll, you'll get really fruity um, West coast IPAs as well, but it's not from these massive late editions of hops. Uh, it's, it's more, you know, they're, they're added earlier in the brew cycle. So it's, it's not quite as aromatic and, you know, fruit juicy as some of these new England style beers. 
but um, no. yeah, Pliny is, is by a brewery called Russian River, just north of San Francisco. Um, awesome place. Uh, it's it's definitely on. It's like on the bucket list for beer nerds in terms of getting out there. And um, I didn't get pizza when I was there. I should have got pizza. I didn't realize they're known for the pizza. I got a Caesar salad, but <laughs> but I sat at their bar and, and tried a bunch of different other beers. They they're they're known for their IPAs. Um, but they also are known for a series of barrel-aged sour and wild ales that are um, mm. very, very, very highly regarded. So um, if you ever find yourself in Santa Rosa, go to uh, go to Russian River. Now, after Colin tells us his beer, I have a question, uh, another beer question. But, okay. but Kyle, you go first. I don't have beer tonight because oh. I have – I'm 99% sure – I'm getting out to Raleigh tomorrow for that Eagles show. Oh, nice. Um, so I have another even earlier morning tomorrow just because I'm trying to yeah. squeeze in a bunch of stuff and, you know, work. And, and then I'm I'm, dri- I'm planning on driving back after the show, too. So I won't get back until like one o'clock, two o'clock. On oh, wow. OK. That's like dumb Thursday shit that morning. I would do, Colin. Yeah, that is. That's like a mat day. Yeah. It's only it's only a two hour you know drive, really. I mean, we we used to do it all, like when we whenever we would see Springsteen in uh, Albany all those t- all those times we would go to the show and then drive back after we'd never stay over in albany yeah but you had people with you You're, this is gonna be solo yeah a lot of times i did the drive though <laughs> the the time we saw the eagles in buffalo uh i drove the whole way back even though it was a full car all right all right well ethan what was the other question uh so the other question and we we mentioned this briefly. I can't remember Matt if if this came up last weekend or last week on the show, or if it came up last weekend when when I was there with you. Um, but but like the new movement in in like the craft beer community is like lagers and pilsners, right? Like the basic fucking classic really? beers, beer tasted beer, beer flavored beer, right? Really, like just yeah. regular old beer. Now and I actually and it was funny because we talked about it, and then I saw like some article from. I can't remember, but some like big, you know, newspaper or some shit on my feed talking about it. And I didn't read the whole thing. But I was like, oh, that's funny. We had just been we had just been talking about it. And so um, I just wanted you to to tell the good the good listeners about this a little bit. And um, and Colin. So I've heard <laughs> um, I've heard it described as um, palate fatigue. I've heard it described <laughs> as, um, you know, back to roots back, you know. And and there's also a lot of brewers that are really putting a lot, you know, a lot of focus on pilsners and lagers and your kind of traditional styles. But I mean, we've had years of double super chocolate cake, pretzel, ice cream, you know, maple sugar, cinnamon toast, crunch beer. Um, oh, and that can be a stout or it can be a sour, sour in quotes <laughs> right. because it, it's like um, not really sour. They just kind of load it up with juice. Uh, and those are those are good beers. But I mean, it's one of those. I think we talked about it, Ethan. Um, like the you know, you, you have four ounces of it, and you're kind of done. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, people used to refer to like lager, like like light crisp lagers, like um, you know, just pick like some one of the ones we had at Human Robot last week, like a lawnmower beer is something you just drink on a hot day. But it's coming back is like if it's well done, if it's tradi- you know true to the style. Um, you know, there is a lot of different kind of options to explore out there. It is becoming kind of the next niche that um, neckbeards, which is a kind of a, um, let's say, a derogatory term for fat guys like me who like uh, craft beer. <laughs> neckbeards, um, yep. You know, neckbeards, yeah. Um, you know, it hides the double chin. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a, that's kind of the new thing that neckbeards are flocking to right now. Um, and that also could be a very pretentious within the, within the craft beer community. It could be a pretentious reaction to another phenomenon, which is called, uh, haze bros, which are the influx of people who are, you know, new to the craft beer scene who like hazy IPAs only. Right. Um, but, and they think they know everything, but they only, well, like I mean, IPAs. not even that they're just enthusiastic about hazy beers and that's all yeah. they care about. And okay. again, the neck beer is poo poo and go, Whoa. Oh, did you ever drink a barley wine? <laughs> like, oh, I had a a Adam beer from Hair of the Dog in Portland. Do you even know who that is? <laughs> uh, that's pretty so funny. R.I.P. Right. Hair of the Dog. They're closing down. They're, the owner decided not to sell his IP or property or recipes, which is good for him. Sad to see him go, though. R.I.P. 
But funny, funny. And this is Matt. An example of this would be um, maybe not quite as famous, but the the Suarez ones that we had a while back, right? Yeah. That's yeah, like, yeah. Very well known in craft beer circles, uh, and human robots get in there too. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, I think Suarez actually kind of makes fun of it. They have they sell T-shirts that are just like that's it like mm. um or like better than i expected you know um, because it's, they're just they're putting an incredible amount of focus and science and attention to traditional recipes to very 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 high um high quality ingredients and going back to traditional recipe and, and um brewing techniques from hundreds of years ago um so there's like a there's a, a new brewery in philadelphia which i haven't tried their stuff yet called trogger brewing which is only brewing German beers with only German sourced raw materials. And he's trying to find, follow all of these old recipe um, traditions. And um, I'm excited. There's a lot of hype around this guy in the, uh, in the neck beard community. Yeah. So this is, this is all super interesting to me and pretty cool. And it doesn't surprise me at all. There's actually um, an analogous uh, uh, phenomenon in the classical music world, which is to say that, uh, in the early 1900s, classical music, especially around 1908, 1910, started to get like crazy, crazy out there, really, really atonal, which atonal, for those who don't know, means um, that there's no home note. You couldn't sing along to it. it to, to most people, it would sound like a bunch of random notes, right? Um, think avant-garde type art, okay? Avant-garde music, just like really, really dissonant, really complex. And things had been developing in increasing in complexity and dissonance for couple hundred years by this point right and i think it's a similar thing uh, it was like palate fatigue right um except for just for your ears and so what started happening around like the 1920s 1930s maybe even a little bit earlier maybe in the 1910s was a movement called neoclassicism where literally you had composers going back to like the 1600s and the 1700s um and taking those kinds of styles and those kinds of melodies and sort of filtering it through their voice through their idea and um, obviously, this all happened, you know, a hundred years ago. But um, it seems, it seems, it seems to uh, um, not be that surprising to me. I guess, I guess, it seems like a natural, a natural part of the evolution of things. Yeah. So pretty cool. And uh, for those who are interested, I'm happy to deliver a lecture on neoclassicism um, on a future episode. So. <laughs> One more thing, while well, banging down the door, they'll be banging down the door. I'll take Colin's time because he doesn't have a beer and say my cheese-filled pasta of the week. Yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, so go ahead. Cavatappi, which is, is technically, let me get I out there. I think it's Cavatappi. Cavatappi? I'm kidding. That's obviously uh, wrong. Technically, it's not cheese filled, but it was in the section of the store that was with the cheese filled pastas because it's got ricotta in the pasta dough. Oh, that's so, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Matt, are you going to actually try to do this like every every podcast episode? Try to have like a cheese a cheese pasta dish? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, you yeah. are? All right, sweet, sweet. I um, like it. It's good. I mean, you know, like, uh, just to tip my cards, excuse me while I chew. He's chewing, everybody. Just <laughs> give it a second. <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught that audio or not. Um, no, it didn't come in. Oh, uh, darn. Through. Okay. Um, like, and I may not have enough. Like, I- I'm going to make homemade stuffed shells because I'm team stuffed shells one of these weeks. But, like, <laughs> one of these weeks, maybe next week, it'll be... Um, you know, like the leftover five uh, tortellini plus the leftover like ten ravioli plus the leftover cavatappi that I'll just cook all together at once. Yeah. You know, and I'll have a, a tri cheese pasta plate. You know, nice. Um, maybe like I'll it. even branch out to lasagna, even though it's not cheese filled. It's cheese layered. It's it's cheese filled adjacent. Um, you know, I don't have any manicotti left or monocoque or whatever. Yeah. What was Greg saying? He was very offended. Yeah, manicotti yeah monocle or something um, like that. i don't have any of that left i ate them all but um you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll keep this going as long as i can nice um, I love you know, it. What, what's threatening things now is i used my last container of homemade uh, pasta sauce so i've got to uh-oh i've got to i've got to make some more of this upcoming week get into it matt yeah. yep yep my mama root secret recipe excellent but yeah Sweet. All right. What else so we got good. on the uh, What else we got on the docket there, boss? Billionaires. I think we can nightcap it with. Uh, oh no, man clown. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really kind of hope. I hope Bryce plays in Japan. I really do. Yeah. Um, man clown is Rob Manfred, uh, the commissioner of baseball. For listeners out there who didn't who didn't know that. 
And uh, so let's well let's give everybody the update. So we well, just well, found let, out. Let's wait before we give the update. Yeah. Let's just backtrack. We've talked very little baseball over the last what three months now, basically. Yeah, yeah pretty. Yeah, much. it's been three months of yeah. lockout. Yeah, we haven't really um, been talking much about it at all. And and yeah, we just haven't talked about it uh, mainly because there hasn't been much to talk about. Uh, but also depressed. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very depressing. Yeah. Um, especially as as it continues to drag on and Ethan's about to provide the latest update which again this is Tuesday March 1st um not happy a happy fat day tuesday yeah happy fat tuesday for sure i don't know what that is that's some that's some goy thing right that's some goy bullshit go down to new orleans and figure oh, it out oh it's not goy bullshit i was thinking of some goy stuff it's goy mardi is a uh, is mardi gras i was thinking it had to do with easter what's the easter shit like ash well, it's the ash, start of tomorrow's ash wednesday, wednesday tomorrow. six days Tomorrow's yep. the start of Lent. Okay. All right. Yep. All right. Um, so anyways, sorry, Kyle, I interrupted you. No, I was giving it back oh. to you to give the update. Okay. So I just well, wanted you... people to know why we haven't talked about baseball. Oh, right. Yeah. So you guys got to clarify because I don't know all the details, but essentially the, um, the owners and the players union have been quote unquote negotiating um, for a <laughs> while now. And uh, they set themselves a deadline, I think, for yesterday, didn't they? That if they didn't have an agreement... Well, well, when you say they, you, you mean the, the owners. Did the owners set that? They set the yes. deadline themselves? Okay, I couldn't remember. So, um, Just like that, the owners are the ones who initiated this lockout. Yeah, they're the ones who locked out the players on what? December 1st, right? They're the yep. ones who started the whole thing. They're, so they're the ones who came up with this to deadline. To preserve the 2022 season. Uh-huh. And uh, so, um, shocker, uh, you know, shock of all shocks, they, they have not come to an agreement. And um, I think it just came out today, didn't it, that officially opening day is canceled? Um, first two series. First two series, totally. Okay, I knew opening day. I didn't see the details beyond that. This is the first time that we are going to miss games for non-COVID uh, since 1994, 5? 95, the beginning of 1995, right? Um, there, was a lo- there was a lockout after the strike. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, this is devastating. It's the height of stupidity um, on the owner's part, not on the players union, which we can talk more about that. But you're already talking about a sport that is struggling to attract young fans and is and I would say probably struggling to retain its current fans because of the nature of the game, um, which we have talked about a lot. And I'm sure we'll talk about a lot more, um, which is to say that it's gotten really, really slow and boring and it was already slow and boring by many people's standards. Um, and so to then allow a labor dispute, when we're talking about everybody in this, everybody in this scenario is insanely rich, and we're talking about just how the pie is split up, right? Um, and that's all we're talking about. There's nothing else here. There's not like some high-minded principle. There's not some big difference in like in morality or anything like this. It's It's just a matter of how we split up the pie. And... To have this happen, to lose time from the season when things are already rough, um, I just, it's its just mind-boggling to me and really, really depressing. Um, and I, I have very little hope about anything at this point. I mean, I'm sure they'll eventually come to a deal and, and we'll get some sort of baseball. How much of a season we get, who fucking knows at this point. I don't, I don't know what you guys, uh, what you guys are thinking about this, but. I want to highlight so a couple things when when we talk about the gap between what owners make and what players make and so let's be clear players are the product like that is that is like a key difference between like what an average american for example works in a company and has a product they are not you are not the product but in baseball, players are the are product. the actual product. Yep, are the actual product, and the discrepancy is huge. And the players aren't asking to be billionaires; they are asking for their younger players to get paid more. They are asking for a more competitive environment, and that is where the key thing comes in for me: is that if you really want to let your anger out on certain owners or certain fan bases circle these ones on your bingo card, the Pittsburgh pirates, the Baltimore Orioles, the Cleveland guardians, the Miami Marlins, the Oakland athletics, 
the Colorado Rockies, the Detroit Tigers, the Kansas City Royals, the Minnesota Twins, and the Arizona Diamondbacks. That is eight owners, eight teams, eight cities, eight markets that could care less about baseball, their fans, their cities, winning ball games, all that type of stuff. And the reason this is known is because these eight clubs are the ones who are holding hostage the negotiations right now. That is where there is a big holdup within the owner side. So like, yes, there is, there is a clear, there's a lot of, a lot of bad things between owners and players. And like, it's taken a lot of work to get them two together, but there's also owners within owners, big market, small market, middle market, whatever it is. That's always been a problem as well. Uh, But right now it's really making it difficult. And the reason that eight is also important, and this is what I read in some of my research before today, it takes eight owners to veto any agreement. Uh, And they keep being, they keep being the eight that keep popping up every single time that like, I'm sure a hell Steinbrenner wants to, you know, do something more or, um, yeah, you know, any of the other big market teams, et cetera. Now, now, Kyle, do you have the information on you? Uh, if not, I'll, I'll try to look it up quick. These eight teams we're talking about, their owners. I mean, we can safely assume that they are all like legitimate billionaires, right? Like all of these owners, I'm going to assume, yeah, they're not hurting in terms of their wealth. I'm going to, I'm going to look up a couple real quick while you keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's not too much more to it. And some of these teams shouldn't surprise you because we went on a very long rant, what, probably like four or five months ago about the Baltimore Orioles and how it's really sad that their franchise in our lifetime yeah. has never truly been competitive. They are not a small market. Hey, okay, 95, no. 96. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay, like two years and three. They made the years. playoffs, yeah, like- but they've never been truly competitive. And and like they they're a really classic example of Matt looked up that one stat of what did what did they they didn't have like their payroll was nothing this <laughs> yeah. this past season. Right, that's it right. It was disgusting. Yeah. And that's a stat that's gotten thrown out a lot this year is that the average payroll in Major League Baseball in two thousand one is lower than it was in two thousand fifteen when the, the past CBA that just expired first started yeah it's so players it, for four are straight years money. the average player salary has gone down that is right. the big sticking point right and actually okay so hold on real quick let me pause because i you were talking about cleveland right now right no we're talking about baltimore was, oh baltimore baltimore, baltimore. Yeah, Cleveland's Sorry. Okay, on this list. Me, well let me talk about cleveland real quick because i happened to look up cleveland first so larry dolan is the owner and the owners the the dolan family this article came out in january just at the beginning of the year 2022 as of as of the beginning of the year, the Dolan family is worth four point six billion dollars, which is the sixth mm-hmm. highest in baseball, ahead of the Cubs and get this, ahead of the Yankees. The Dolan family is richer than the Steinbrenner family. Okay? Now, I don't know how much money Larry Dolan controls out of the entire Dolan family, but point is, dude's got plenty of money. Um so mm. Cleveland has Cleveland has no excuse. Um, it, when, when we, when we were looking at, um, cause we've looked at Cleveland's payroll too, right? And Cleveland's payroll has yep. been pretty fucking low. Yeah. Um, like yep. they got no excuse. They got no excuse to not be spending money. And I'll look up the Orioles owner here in a second, but how about that? Sixth highest, that family. That's fucking insane. That was, and this is current number. I mean, this is a couple months ago, so this is not like from a few years ago. Yeah. So you figure it's probably close to, you know, even though billionaire wealth fluctuates, like it's, it's still gotta be right around there. So. Well, and, and what's. And okay, so this this is pre Dolan era, but what 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 kills me is Cleveland was a rabid baseball town, yeah. Until Boston, so think about this after after the Browns left, the city like rallied around that team. So after the Browns left, they sold out something ridiculous like four hundred and thirty straight home games, sellouts. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like this team, and 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 the team was good back then. It was really really good. Um, one, probably one of the best teams to never win uh, a championship. If you look at top to bottom, that yeah, team. We're talking about like the mid nineties. Mid nineties Indians were yeah, just yeah. Oh, yeah. insane. Yeah, they good. were insane. Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, they had a they had an owner that was investing. They had fans that were engaged. And, and 
to look at, to remember back as a Yankees fan watching those games, to look at videos of that, you know, the Jacobs Field packed, and then to see it now, um, and to see the Dolans, you know, both the, spoiler alert, the past two um, stadium renovations they've done, which they've pushed on, you know, a lot of the cost on the Gateway District, which is part of Cleveland, um, they've reduced the seats in there. So they went from selling out this 45 seats, you know, 45,000 seat stadium for 400 plus straight games to now that I think the capacity is 38,000 because they've just taken out whole sections because there is, you know, they, they've ruined the baseball enthusiasm of that city. Um, and, uh, you know, aside from a couple of blips in the blips in the radar where they were able to make it to the world series and all it's been it's it's been horrendous and mediocrity right it's it's not good for the game that as a as a college student or as a young professional the day of the game i could log on and find 11 dollar seats um it was great as a fan who wanted to go catch a random game um but for the for the whole for the whole game of baseball now i don't want tickets to get too expensive either but I mean that that's like a quarter of face price there. That that's bad. Yeah. 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 And by the way, I just double checked um on Baltimore, Peter Angelos, their owner, is uh worth Either. about two uh, about two billion. Yeah. Yeah. Um and it's not like the other thing too, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, I think you know the most about this, but the owners aren't paying the salaries like straight out of their net worth, right? I mean the, the a team's operating budget is not just the owner's net worth, right? I mean there's right. more at play. There's the revenue there's the and, and it's like a lot of these guys are the principal owners as part of an ownership group. Like there's mm-hmm. more there's more than just one guy's net worth, right? Yep. Absolutely. Now, now it is it is to to counterpoint, it is not unheard of if a if a owner is going after it to invest more of his own money in salaries. Great. To try and yeah. put his team over the top. Sure. Yeah. And and that's... there are there there are documented instances of um say teams having a, a negative, you know losing money for a year because they, they had so much invested in payroll that that has happened. What I will say though, is it doesn't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it happens very, very, very rarely. Yeah. Um, and you'll see, you know, owners will very, will very quickly shed salary before they'll take a losing, a losing or a negative year, a year in the red with their team. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. Go I, ahead, Ethan. I just want to, so let's, I want to circle back and bring this, bring this full circle here to how we got here. Right. So what's happening with the whole talks and the lockout and everything, like I was saying before, all that's happening is the ownerships in the players' union fighting over the pie and who gets what pieces of the pie and how much of the pie, right? Now, I'm not same, – same as what we were talking about before with, like, McCartney versus Geffen. I am not shedding a tear for the players, right? Even, even league minimum players are making, like, 600 grand a year, okay? I'm not shedding a tear. They're all, they're all crazy rich by normal people's standards. However, the owners – are are several leagues above, right? There's se- there's several orders of magnitude above when you're when you're a billionaire. Okay, period. I don't care if you're um who's 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 uh who's got the highest annual uh value right now? Is it Scherzer, uh, um Scherzer, Trouty, whoever it is? The 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 people who have like the highest annual pay right now, the players. It's like thirty five forty million, right? It's right around there. The the highest annual value deals. So that's a lot, right? I'm not shedding a tear for them, but it's the principle, right? It's all about greed. These billionaires are already fucking billionaires, right? The owners. And they are trying to prevent the players from getting more of the pie. Um, and, I mean, that's just – it's just insane. Like – and especially when we talk about the young players because what's crazy now in baseball – and this is, I think, a really important point, And we've talked about this before. It used to be prior to analytics being as good as they are now, it used to be that young players would come up. They'd be amazing in their 20s. They wouldn't be eligible for free agency until later in their late 20s or like age 30 or whatever. Then they'd be free agents and then they'd get their payday. They'd get a massive contract. Now, analytics is really good. And we know that pretty much nobody maintains even anywhere close to their ability level after age 30. So those contracts aren't happening anymore for the most part, right? Owners and and teams are much less likely to give those out. And so now what you have happening is you have all of these like hot shots. Think of like Juan Soto or whatever. You have these amazing, amazing talents coming up who are having incredible years. They're in their prime. They're in their 20s. They're in their mid-20s. And they are making a fraction of what they would be worth on the market. And by the time they're free agents, depending on if on, on how uh, how much the team manipulated their playing time, 
by the time they're free agents, they're not going to get that huge payday that they would have previously gotten, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a big problem here too. I'd like to coin this the uh, the Pujols effect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he is like the poster boy, right? I mean, yeah. you can't made, you can't find made a better thirty example million than that. in his age forty season. I was like, Ooh. yeah, and he's Ooh. been like below replacement level for like several years at this point, or pretty much close to it. Um, and so that's one of the big sticking points, right? One of the things that the players' union wants is the young players having the ability what to enter arbitration earlier. Is that one of the points, right? Yep. Um, to be able to get paid better earlier, because um, and even that is not is not ideal. Because they're still not – think about somebody like Mike Trout, who as a 20-year-old had one of the greatest seasons in history and has been amazing every full season he's ever had. He didn't make close to what his market value would have been, you know? And so the teams are – they are fleecing the players in this sense, right, with these young, these young superstars. Um, and so this idea that the billionaires are so greedy to keep their bit of the pie uh, rather than pay these players, I mean, it's just – it's fucking horrendous. Um, yeah, it's inexcusable. Point of information: There are six MLB owners that are not billionaires. Okay, this is good to know. Who are they? Um, Do you Brewers, have the list? Yeah. Okay. Diamondbacks, Marlins, Reds, Rays, and Rockies. Does it say what their net worth is? Um, the lowest like, is the Reds at four hundred million, and then that's all the way up to eight hundred million for the uh, owner of the Rays. So very interesting. Only four to eight hundred million. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I got a couple things I'll end with. One, anyone who thinks that higher payrolls means higher ticket prices, you're fucking stupid. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. That's a good the Yankees payroll was much higher in two thousand five than it is right now. And the ticket prices were much lower than they are right now for games. Okay, so that's my first thing. My second thing is like, I don't, I really don't know where this goes. Like, I know, so like, history lesson 1994, the players struck struck in August of that year because struck, they thought strike, they could struck. I think it would be struck, wouldn't it? I don't think struck. Strike yeah, I think it's right. Yeah. yeah, not yeah. like hanged. So they struck in August of 94 because they thought they could put enough pressure on the owners to get a deal done and still resume the season and, you know, have the playoffs and everything. The owner said, no, they were tired of losing. They had gotten beat like seven, eight times in a row, um, starting with Marvin Miller, who's now in the hall of fame. And um, so they wipe out the season. That was, that was a miscalculation by the players. Now, when the season ends, if there is going to continue to be, no baseball activity that has to be caused by the owners. They have to lock out the players. Like the players aren't just going to strike and not try to get money, you know, and things like that. They, they want to play. They just want to, they want to play, you know, in a fair environment. And so the owners locked out the players leading up to that 1995 season. And then they had, they, (laughs) they tried to have replacement players. We weren't really old enough to, you know, no, this was happening is what we were, we were six years old uh, when, when this was all going on. Um, they tried to have replacement players. Fans were finally like, you know what? We're done. We're walking away. Like, this is what's pushing us away. Like, not so much the cancellation of the 94 World Series and, you know, the whole season and, and everything like that. But the fact that the owners were like, yeah, we're just going to throw up replacement players and hope that you guys are OK with that. Like, the fans were like, no. And so the owners finally caved players got their deal and everything was good up until 2015 um, when there started to be, you know, some friction again, they got the CBA done. Now we've been in this lockout since December. And I just do not know what the end game is for the owners. Like, will they cancel the whole season? It's obviously not unheard of. The NHL did it in what? 2005 or whatever. 2003. I think it was the 0304 season. I think. Yeah. So it's not unheard of. I would be beyond devastated if oh I did. Um, yeah, but I, like I just I don't I don't know how I don't know how you get those people who are so far away from what the players want. I don't I don't know how you make up that ground at this point. Like it hasn't happened in three months. It hasn't happened with their arbitrary deadlines. 
they are the ones locking out the players yet it's the players and the fans who are suffering. And I I just don't know how this ends in a happy way. I I really don't. Please God, don't cancel the season. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Welcome to two jocks, one schlub, your premier beer nonsense and F1 racing and PGA golf podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, Oh, and by, uh, I just double checked the NHL lockout was 2004, 2005, okay. um, so, the 04-05 season. But so it, it's interesting to hear some of the stuff they've talked about. Have you guys seen some of the, the proposals? So you can see kind of the the players' goals there. They're they're trying to force competitiveness. They they, they want to eliminate the tanking. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's been right, talk like a lottery of, for the amateur draft. Yeah, uh, lottery. There've been talk of you guys hear the ghost game proposal that came out today. Oh, I didn't hear this. Uh, uh, essentially, if they want to incentivize teams that win the division. So it, it, I don't want to see this happen. But um, so say the Yankees win the division and their wild card challenger is the Orioles because we're going to just go into la-la land here. Um, <laughs> the Yankees would only have to win two of three games, like two games, and the Orioles would have to win three, and they would all be played in Yankee Stadium. That was the, the proposal. So the Yankees essentially start up with a ghost win. Um, they're up one zero before the series even starts. Yeah, yeah, because they want to they want to incentivize those who, um, you know, f- battle to the end of the, the season and really, really you know, right. win the division. Don't we, don't we already have that with the with the extra wild card game? Well, but but that's against no. each other. After the wild card game's over, it's still a best of best of five series. Right. Yeah. Um, this would be this would be the expanded playoffs. Another. So I think it would wipe out the wild card game and it would just be, there would be this best of three series before the division series. And then there would be the championship series and then the world series. I think, but no, but they're also talking about just a series where the, where the, the division winner would only have to win two games and the wild card winner would have to win three. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's the first round, whatever yeah. they're going to call it. It wipes yeah. out the wild card game. Uh-huh. And it says, okay, we're having a legitimate series, a three game series, and whatever, everything you just walked us through, Matt. And then whoever wins that goes to the division series, just like it, it has been through the wild card era. So uh-huh. the other one, the other proposal I heard, um, you guys hear they're talking about an international draft, which uh-huh. I think. I think that's a response to the Yankees these past two years going out there and plopping a boatload of money on the um, number one rated draft prospect internationally. Yeah, well, because a, with this, the way the way that it is with teams tanking, the Yankees are essentially locked out of top draft picks in the, the amateur draft. So I don't blame the Yankees for doing that, but it sounds like some of the other owners are not happy about that. So the amateur draft. I wonder now, which owners those are. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but I, I thought there was something in place with the international pool, um, some sort of like tax or, or there cap is. or something. There's, there's, you, have, you have a certain amount of money you can spend. Yeah. You can also trade for additional money. So right. but you I believe can... that was actually part of the, the Voight trade, right? We actually yes. got bonus pool money from the Cardinals along with Voight. Okay, yeah. that sounds you can accumulate as much international money as you want but you can only spend a certain amount that is a hard cap like there is a hard cap on that so then so the yankees are choosing to spend like most of their international pool money to get like that top prospect. whereas whereas all teams aren't other teams could do that if they want i I know right am i right okay i'm just making sure i'm understanding this correctly yep 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 yeah um so those are some of the ones i've heard you know obviously there's been a million different proposals about um limiting arbitrate you know getting to arbitration sooner getting rid of compensation picks trying to get a bonus pool of money for people who are in arbitration to you know reward those who um perform well you know so they have built-in bonuses out there um that all just to me sounds i i I don't know how much the players are going to be you know up for that because it still is retaining control for these the owners over these younger players and I haven't heard, and guys, if you have, please speak up, but I haven't heard anything that addresses, addresses service time manipulation either, which I, that was like be the one, big thing, right? I yeah. Mean, one of the big things. Like, that's what I, I would was like to about. see that go. Yeah. It's fucking bullshit. I think, I think the players gave that up to Damn be honest. It. Damn it. Yeah. But again, I mean, Matt, you just, you just, my point again, 
how does this end in a happy way for the players and the fans? I, I don't see it. <laughs> Maybe we should. Tony Clark shouldn't shave his beard until the negotiations are over. Maybe <laughs> maybe it'll come out looking like ZZ Top in a couple months or something. I mean, the only I, thing we can hope is that the presser today, Manfred was laughing, like after he announced the cancellation of the first two series, and it's wait, like he actually laughed, laughing, just like smiles, and like obviously that has made the rounds already, and players are not happy. Like, Good. all we can hope, I think, like realistically, I I just don't see the CBA winning like being a winning cba for the players but but what we can almost hope is like manfred being a little bit too uh glib? cavalier yeah with glib. his not with to his... mention insultingly fucking condescending which is what we talked about last time i think yeah or that, that that will ultimately like force the owners to say like all right well we have to cut ties with him we got to bring in someone else um yeah i can't imagine it's gonna be anyone who's like amazingly better but the yeah. bar's been set pretty low by man clown here's i one, mean yeah. man clown could be terrible but as long as he keeps the owners flushing cash well, that's the thing yeah the owners they want they just want a friendly commissioner to them right so they'll probably keep man yeah but if but i'm saying like if 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 the pre just like it was with those replacement players and like the goofy stuff they tried in 95 like if if fans actually stop showing up and like stop supporting like then they'll they'll feel pressure to like say all right let's right. let's make a change yeah. you know something like that and i well, will say the do one the, do you think the average baseball fan knows the name rob manfred probably not the average fan so uh, ethan i was gonna say my one like my one sliver of hope is that Wealth consciousness, thanks, thanks to the, thanks to the internet, is is uh, infinitely better now than it was, say, in 1995. Let alone before. Now, I'm not yeah. saying everybody feels the way that I do. I don't know that everybody is gonna. What did I say? Fuck all billionaires. Period. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if everybody's gonna say that. But I think that wealth consciousness is much better than it used to be. And so the owners' efforts to demonize the players. I don't think will be as effective as they were in the past. I think that people are going to be much more cognizant of the fact that the owners are at an extreme advantage, and they always have been, and that we should not sympathize with them at all, ever. Um, now, I think there are still plenty of bootlickers out there who don't really think at all, who don't have critical thinking, who don't pay attention, who are going to be like, oh, those players are spoiled, they need to shut up and play. There's going to be some of those people. But I think as a general rule... More people now than in the past are aware of of the the gulf in wealth and how billionaires are like it's it's insane it's insane that they are that they're being greedy in this way that we we need to be siding yeah <laughs> um Matt put up a really creepy cartoon of mark zuckerberg right that was that was zuckerberg right yeah, yeah. um that's my one sliver of hope and in that um hopefully. There will be enough uh, of evidence of that online that the owners will realize um, and they'll realize. So my, well, actually, so what I think then, I hope that the players do not give an inch. I think that they have, they if, if they wait it out, I think they have the upper hand because I think people realize uh, that we need to be sympathizing with them, not with the owners. I think that's way more than it used to be. I don't know. Not to, not to kill your, your hope there. <laughs> kill it. Um, that's fine. But I feel like I've come over to your side, Ethan, where I'm like the players, because I do believe the same thing about the players that they shouldn't move. And I believe the players believe that they shouldn't move that we're headed for some like real bad stuff because I don't think the owners care. Like, I, I don't think They're they care be super that, rich people, that people know. Yeah. You know, like all this information and understand it better and everything. Like, I just really don't think they care. And yeah, you're they probably just, right. They just want to win. That's it. Yeah. And now for a new announcement, join us for our new segment next week, the intricacies of F1 racing. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh -huh. I love producer Matt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. All uh, right, boys. Well, we got the anger out. I'm yeah. sure we got more coming. Oh, there will be Next week will be more. the sadness. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> but I hope, I, seriously, I wanted to say um, – I, I listened last week. Um, it's obviously been from a non-sports perspective. Uh, you know, there's COVID now there's war. 
um, you know, things in, in the world. And it was 39 minutes of laughs that I got last week. And if anyone is listening just to, you know, get a distraction, um, even if it's a brief one, like we're just three guys that talk shit and <laughs> probably don't know as much as we think we do, but if we can provide, you know, a, a little bit of laughter and whatnot, like that feels pretty cool to be able to do, um, for, for people. Um, at the very least it'll provide a distraction for me. Cause I'll listen to this again on Friday. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that's probably the smartest thing that's been said on the show since we started. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you to everyone who's listening. Hope for a good distraction. If you're listening, let us know. We'll get you on the show. You know, we can we can mix things up. We haven't had a guest in a while. Let me send you a mug. Um, but we had a guest two weeks ago, but that was well, a long time. Greg, but Greg's been he's been in the works for a long time. <laughs> I got to get him his mug. Shit. Yeah, you do. Chop chop. Um, All right, boys. Really quickly, I just remembered while I'm thinking of it. Somebody had asked a long time ago about the clock that's in the background above my shoulder. <laughs> um, it's a tea kettle. So there you go. Goodbye.